Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Here we are on this great Wednesday night, bringing it to you live in full effect. I'm so glad to be back here, guys, on just a great episode. You guys have been following me all week on social media, and I'm so excited to kick this off. I've got two longtime great friends of mine, expert clinicians at their craft, and really we're talking today about surgical precautions in the COVID era. Yes, this era is still going on. We're still mired in the pandemic. And as we're opening up as a country, we're seeing more opening as far as medical care. And so I'm so excited. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. Welcome back again. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing out of Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, you can check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Also, I am a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I've got to have my swag right here. There you go. So I'm just excited. So everybody, grab a pen, pull up a chair relax, pour a hot tea, take some notes. As my pastor says, smart people take notes. And so really what we're here today tonight is we're going to talk about really what's new. You know, when we think about surgery, we'll think of it this way. During a pandemic, total care does not stop. And, and if you didn't know, surgeries have been going on. But the show tonight is going to be talking about the elective surgeries. We, we might get into a little bit about what some of the more emergent stuff that's happening right now and what we've had to do as a medical community, a medical profession, to change the dynamic of how we, how we uh, run surgeries now and make sure people are safe. But surgeries continue. Total health care does not stop at all. People have surgery for many reasons. Sometimes it's to ease pain. Other surgeries are done to treat a disease or help the body work better. Surgeons may also need to operate to look for problems. And in many cases, surgery saves lives, period. Some operations are performed certainly much more than other ones, and they vary in terms of condition that are treated and certainly with costs. So numerous hospitals across the country have returned to, basically have returned to resuming performing surgeries elective surgeries and other invasive procedures. And so again, we're gonna talk about what's different now. And really the most important thing is like, why were these changes made? What can people expect as the new norm? And will they even care and why they should? We're gonna make the argument why they should care. And again, at the end of the day, we always have safety first. So again, welcome back everybody. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. Uh, you're gonna meet my amazing guests in just a few moments. Before we get there, I wanna hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. All right, guys. So what I want to do is I want to introduce my amazing guest today. We're going to get right into it. You guys have come to expect everything. Before I just say something really quick, I have to give a quick shout out to my wife, Tiffany Gomez. Today is our 90th episode of To Your Health with Dr. G, really talking about building trust and delivering truth. We want you out there that's listening to leverage this, what we're talking about today, and apply it in your lives. Talk with your doctor. That's the most important person that you can talk to right now if you have any concerns about your health and your well-being. Your doctor's office is most likely open for business. Excellent. So I want to introduce my guest today. My first guest, he and I met in residency at Loyola. I was residency uh, classmates with his wife, and uh, just a really good friend of mine. I want to introduce you. He's been on my show before. I want to introduce my good friend, Dr. Michael O'Rourke, MD, FASA. Let me read his credentials. Dr. O'Rourke is a board-certified anesthesiologist. He is associate professor, Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Medicine. He's director of preoperative anesthesia screening clinic at Loyola University Medical Center, 
Follow him on Twitter. He's tweeting some really good stuff out there. I found myself. Found him at dr underscore m underscore o'rourke. Check him out. Mike, welcome back to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Mike, give us a little bit about Dr. Work. Give us a little bit about your, your background. What did you do your medical school? I was, I, obviously, I dropped the ball and said you and I were in residency at Loyola around the same time. But give us a little bit more of your credentials and a little bit of opening remarks about what you think about today's uh, theme of surgical precautions in the COVID era. Sure. Uh, so uh, my background, uh, I'm from Michigan. I went to medical school at Michigan State University. Uh, I trained for a year in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then I moved to Chicago and completed my residency in anesthesiology at Loyola. And basically, since I finished there, uh, I've been a uh, faculty position there, and I, uh, I currently work uh, part-time at Loyola and part-time at the Heinz uh, VA serving that population. Um, as far as the topic, um, it's a very interesting topic, right? Um, so anesthesiologists, uh, in March, when recommendations came to kind of stop doing elective surgery, anesthesiologists became much less busy because a lot of us spend a lot of time in the operating room. So during the months, the rest of March, April, and portions of May, many anesthesiologists, rather than being in the operating rooms, <clears throat> were working in ICUs and other places helping to take care of COVID uh, patients. And that certainly was the case uh, for me. And now kind of in uh, April, we've been shifting back and getting started again with, uh, with care of surgical patients. So one of my roles at Loyola is I'm in charge of the preoperative clinic. And so I've been involved in um, getting protocols set up for COVID testing and just general preoperative uh, screening of patients there. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Rourke. Thank you. This is awesome. I'm so glad to have you back on the show again. I want to introduce my next guest. He and I were classmates together at Loyola. Uh, just a longtime friend of mine, a great supporter of what we do here at T-Roll for Dr. G. I want to introduce you to you, Dr. Matthew R. Schmitz, MD, FAAOS, FAOA, FAAP. He's a board-certified orthopedic surgeon. He's chair of the Department of Orthopedics, chief of Young Adult Hip Preservation Service. He's chief of pediatric orthopedics and Adolescent Sports Medicine at San Antonio Medical Center. He's also Associate Professor at Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences. He's also Associate Professor at Baylor University Clinical Orthopedics. He's also a team physician of the U.S. National Rugby Team. Check him out at Twitter, at RugbyMD. He's also on Facebook at Schmitz Hip Surgery. Dr. Schmitz, welcome to the show. Hey, Dr. Gomez. Thanks, Thanks a lot for me. Hey, you bet. Uh, Give us a little bit Oh, sorry, sure. I was going to say, go ahead and give us a little bit about your background and everything. A lot of it right there, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you and I went to medical school together in Loyola, and then I came down to San Antonio where I did an orthopedic surgery residency. Uh, I then followed on in pediatric uh, uh, orthopedics residency, and I've been back here in San Antonio uh, since 2012 and, and recently became the chair of our department. So I'm really interested to talk about this, this um, to topic tonight because for one, I'm a clinician, a busy clinical orthopedic surgeon, but also as the department head, I was involved in the decision-making on when we started to shut things down. And then more importantly, kind of what I've termed the reawakening uh, as, we, as we move into this next phase. I'm excited to be here tonight. 
Hey, thank you, brother. It's awesome to have you. It's awesome to connect with you on this platform, both of you gentlemen as well, too, longtime friends and supporters of what we do here at T-Roth with Dr. G. So thank you guys for taking time out of your schedule to help pass a message on to the general public about what's going on. So here we are. Uh, you just met my awesome guests. They're super fierce, highly skilled clinicians, and they're really decision makers in this process. They've both been intimately involved in making sure that your safety is the number one priority. And that's never changed when it comes to your total care. Your surgeon, your anesthesiologist, they want you to have the safest and the best outcomes that regards, regards to your health care. So does your medical, regular medical doctor. I can give myself some props too. But we want you to have the best health care experience, but we always want to be safe. And this time more than ever, we are being safe and safe and safe. We want it to be safe, seamless, and personal as well too. So uh, let's get right into it, guys. You know, people want to know what's going on, so we're just going to get right into it. So hospitals are doing surgeries. And by the way, people that are out there tonight, again, things that we talk about today, talk to your doctor. But we're going to, I've got this kind of frame that's more like a frequently asked questions kind of, kind of scenario, but also these questions are for you out there, but it's a great time to ask the experts what's going on, but also to get their critical insight on how we are approaching surgical care in this day. So let me ask this first question to Dr. Dr. O'Rourke. Here we go. Here's a statement. I heard that my hospital system is doing elective surgeries. So um, are all surgeries being performed or just some? Right. So that's, that's, a, that's a great question because things may be different depending on which hospital system, where you live in the country, and what ho even like, for instance, in Chicagoland, which hospital you're talking about. So generally... Um, you know, the, the, most states have, for a while, they put surgeries on hold. They're now a go in basically all states. Um, there was never a time where we were not doing um, urgent or emergency surgeries. So those were proceeding regardless. Uh, but now we're talking about uh, elective surgeries. So uh, I was talking to a friend in, um, in Jacksonville last night, and he was saying, you know, we're a full go down here. Every room is running. You know, we're basically exactly the same as we were doing back in January. Um, and that's because at the moment they have a low uh, COVID population, so they're able to get going. Um, but that may not necessarily be the case for everybody throughout the whole country. Uh, areas that have been a little uh, harder hit by COVID, like New York City and Chicago, um, the process is uh, resuming at a little bit slower. And that's basically just to ensure the safety of uh, patients and for medical uh, physicians and nurses. Uh, so, so, is, so the question is, uh, is my surgery a go? Uh, those decisions are being made and they're actively being, uh, actively being revised all the time. So uh, it would depend on what type of surgery you're having and uh, where you're having it. Thank you, Dr. Rourke. Dr. Schmitz, you know, you've been involved in really crafting this. I mean, you're running a department, but you're also making sure that your doctors and you yourself, when you are performing surgeries, are doing it in the best circumstances possible and safest for your patients, but not just for your patients, the clinical staff that are in the operating room with you and your colleagues, safety's there. So how did you guys go about designing this? And I always want to, want to talk about this because this is important for people to know. You know, we take our health seriously. How did you guys want designing this process to kind of say, hey, you know what, now we're ready to go. Tell us a little bit about some of the work that went behind the scenes. Yeah, so yeah, that's a great question. You know, the basic factors is whether or not your hospital system has enough personal protective equipment. And that's been on topic around. And so once you determine that you have enough, um, 
what we did is we created a multidisciplinary team that not only surgeons, anesthesia, but also the infectious disease doctors to say, how are we going to screen patients? Are we going to test patients? You know, which cases are going to be made priority and actually a committee that decided when we first started opening, which cases were given highest priority to go to the operating room. And, and we still aren't doing 100% of elective cases. There are some things just based on numbers. There are certain patients that have been triaged to the front of the line. And so it's really important that that's a, uh, a collaborative effort, like, like most things that we do in medicine with multiple different types of subspecialties involved. Well, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for giving us a little more of the insight on what's going on. And, and as uh, probably you probably echo, echo Dr. Richardson, let me ask you this question. What Dr. Work said, this process is being constantly reviewed and revised, correct? Yeah. So, so we officially started doing elective surgery on Monday, 1 June, and we are meeting on every Wednesday and looking at our burn rate, how much of our protective equipment we're going to, how much we have in stock to see can we continue at this rate? Do we need to slow things down, pick back up? We're at about 80% right now, uh, but theoretically, can we, can we increase that to a full 100%? So we are constantly looking at that with our team as well to make sure that we're resupplying what we're using. Excellent. Dr. Dr. Rourke, how are we dealing with the backlog of patients? Because let's be honest, I mean, elective surgeries were put on hold uh, and, and people may have had to put off their treatment for their ailment that's been plaguing them for a long time. How are we trying to, how are we trying to un, undo that bottleneck effect? I mean, have you seen a bottleneck effect? And, and what's your take on that? Right. So, I mean, that's a definite concern for um, anesthesiologists and surgeons all over the country is, you know, I had the, for some people, they have people waiting weeks or months to get in to see if they have an operation. And now with surgeries postponed several weeks or months, um, there can be a, a line of people. Now, I mean, the good news is we're talking about, generally what we're talking about right now is elective surgeries, which means there's not an urgency to them. So I wanna really stress that um, urgent and emergent surgeries have been going on. If you have a broken bone, we've been doing those. If you've had cancer and needed an operation for it, those are continuing. Um, for a strictly elective procedure, um, they're depending on, again, depending on your location, um, surgeons are, are restarting, but it's very important to, um, to physicians as well as to hospital systems that this is done safely. And what that means is uh, you got to ensure, again, we're all social distancing. Hopefully everyone is doing that at their house right now. We are doing that in the hospitals as well, which means you need to ensure that patients in the recovery room, patients in the preoperative area, and nurses that everyone has the space that they need. So for, ex for example, when we started redoing surgeries, we started with kind of almost a soft open, meaning we were doing less surgeries than we would typically do just to implement the new processes to keep both the patients as well as all of our providers safe. So the backlog is definitely a, a real thing at some locations and for some types of procedures. As long as we're talking about an elective procedure, um, that it doesn't matter if it happens, you know, a week from now or six months from now, um, most people are okay with there being a backlog that will be addressed as soon as it is safe. Uh, but for patients who are having uh, additional symptoms, anyone that would have harm come to them by postponing surgery, it's important that you talk to your doctor about that 
because there's definitely the ability um, to do more urgent cases if it's needed. Excellent. Dr. Schmitz, let's get right into this. I got to ask this question. I'm getting asked this question a lot by my patients. Do I need to have a COVID test before I have my elective procedure? What are you guys doing down there? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and I, I think, you know, I, I like to borrow some of the words of our infectious disease specialist who's been heading it up, who says that testing really is the wild, wild west right now. <laughs> and different hospital systems are doing different protocols. So what we've done at our hospital is 48 hours before an elective surgery, we are doing our test uh, for COVID. Because the theory behind that is that there are reports and there's some some questions that if you're an asymptomatic um, infection that you could have worse outcomes from the anesthetic and things like that. We want to identify those patients. So everyone gets screened. They have symptoms. If they have screened, they're delayed. The elective surgeries get tested 48 hours beforehand, but we are not testing urgent and emergent because those those need to be done either way. So I would say it depends on your hospital system. I know other, other hospital systems here in San Antonio are using antibody testing, and that's a whole conversation in and of itself. But we've decided uh, PCR testing um, for, for active surgeries. I think that's what we're doing, certainly, in our practice. And uh, we can go over some of the scenarios that I'm finding myself in because I'm, now that I'm seeing more patients back in the office, I'm actually doing preoperative screening exams and, and clearance exams. What are you guys doing uh, at your institution, Dr. Work? Are you guys requiring COVID testing prior uh, to their surgical procedure? Yes. Um, yeah, there's some national guidelines now that unless you are in an area with a very low rate of COVID infection where your patients are unlikely to be asymptomatic carriers, that testing should be done prior to procedures or surgeries. So that is what, that is what we are doing. Um, and um, I mean, that's important because uh, as, as we were just saying, uh, that's important because if a patient has surgery and they have a COVID infection, even if they don't have symptoms, um, there's been a couple, one in particular good study from Asia that says if you have surgery while you have a COVID infection, even if it's asymptomatic, you are much more likely to have a complication from the surgery. So it's important for hospitals and doctors to know that you have, uh, that you are, have a, if you have a positive test. So that's why uh, my hospitals and really a lot of hospitals in the U.S are testing for COVID beforehand to ensure that you're not putting a patient uh, for undue risk by having a surgery. I want to go back to what Dr. Schutz said. Sometimes, you know, Dr. Schutz, I'm quoting your, your local infectious disease expert who said, sometimes the testing's like the wild, wild west. What happens in that 48 hours um, before surgery? What are we advising patients to do? What if they what if they're exposed? I mean, what are we doing right. to, min to minimize those kind of risks? And, and to clarify, it's because yeah. we're doing it 48 hours in advance. That's because with the batch testing, sometimes it can take a day to get results and we don't want to delay cases. But what we're, what we're telling folks, what we have is you could have it done the morning of surgery and, it, and you get a result within a couple of minutes. But what we're telling people is after that test that they need to go home and, and uh, essentially self-isolate and not leave their home because there is that concern that they could become exposed during that 48 hours before their surgery. So 
recommendations, we give them a one-page sheet uh, that has a testing uh, site, and then they're instructed to go home, not leave the house, don't go out to eat, um, and, and isolate from there for 48 hours before surgery. Say that person, I'll ask this question, Dr. O'Rourke, say that person tests positive, they get that 48-hour screen, comes back the day before their test, it's positive. Are we aborting things right there and then rescheduling down the road? What's the protocol? So that definitely, again, depends on the type of surgery we're talking about. But because um, doing an elective surgery while you're COVID positive puts, you, puts the patient at risk for having complications, um, for a purely elective procedure, it's likely to be postponed. But I would definitely say that basically at our institution, that triggers a conversation between the surgeon and the patient regarding what, what the best plan then is. Uh, so I wouldn't say 100% like your surgery is going to be canceled, but going ahead with your surgery does likely put you at increased risk. So that would definitely be a conversation you want to have with your doctor if you, know, you tested positive. You know, I've been in that scenario recently. I had a gentleman who was uh, seen for a, um, for a shoulder uh, surgery on his rotator cuff. This is several weeks ago. And um, actually his physician had ordered a rapid test to be done the day of surgery. So he gets to the, oh, he gets the pre-admission, they rapid test them. Of course, he's positive, abort the procedure. And now you have an unhappy person who uh, had his spouse take him and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of reached out to the doc and I was like, you know, I was like, what's the protocol? Because I think you know, it's great that you guys have a very well-oiled machine kind of protocol, but there are still some uh, medical groups out there, hospices that may have not established that yet. I know what we did for this particular case. Uh, we, we certainly aborted the procedure and actually sent him for a true nasal PCR test uh, after two weeks, though. We retested him after two weeks. We thought that test might have been a false positive because actually that guy had been self-quarantined uh, for several, um, several weeks, maybe even several months at that point. But it gets into those kind of nuances of things. So what do you do? Uh, what are you guys doing, uh, Dr. Schmitz, for you guys? I mean, are you guys maybe say somebody tests positive and maybe somebody's persistent? Would you try to run the test on another analyzer? Would you try to see, you know, would you put on another machine and see if it comes out positive still? Yeah, I think that, you know, in that situation, we would, we would delay the case. And, and if they never showed symptoms, delay it between two weeks and test them again. And then if, they, if it becomes positive again, then maybe try a different method. I think that, you know, Dr. O'Rourke kind of hit on it. We are, we are only testing purely elective cases. And so we've kind of taken the chance that if you're positive, that elective case can be delayed for two, four, eight weeks. Excellent. Well, thank you. All right. So here's a question. Um, a question from, from uh, a common question I can ask, a question from the audience. Will I be, this is for Dr. O'Rourke, will I be safe in the hospital if my health system is treating proven or suspected COVID-19 patients. So they're going in for surgery and there's COVID patients in the hospital. Will that person who's getting the surgery be safe? That's, that's a great question because of course, um, prior to February, no one has, these are all, these are all evolving, evolving things. So I can't point to evidence. I can, I can give you my response, but I can't, you know, base that on evidence because this is brand new. Um, so many hospitals that have COVID patients are primarily isolating them in particular floors. So certainly if you are COVID positive and you have surgery, you would go to a floor that has COVID positive patients. And, um, you know, I, 
ICUs and other floors, uh, hospitals are being very meticulous about ensuring that anybody that has COVID or is at risk of having COVID is not, um, is not interacting and not on the same floor as those without it. So um, I cannot quantitate, you know, I can't say, oh, your risk is this or your risk is that. I mean, certainly me getting up and going to the hospital every day probably puts me at more risk than if I was staying home, right? So if certainly having surgery and going to a hospital is gonna put you at increased risk. I can only say that hospitals and doctors are doing everything they can to prevent the spread of this disease and to protect patients. Dr. Schmitz, are you finding any, any pushback at all in, in your practice? You know, you're advising somebody to get surgery, you know they're struggling with their, with their ailment. Are you seeing some pushback from some patients say, you know what, doc, I'm gonna, even though I've been dealing with this for six months or whatever, I'm gonna hold back? Or do people even ask you like, hey, am I gonna get COVID if I'm in the hospital? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's kind of two flavors of patients. And there's, there are some patients that are very scared of, of entering a hospital and, and everyone we've seen numbers decrease for clinic and follow up and things like that. Um, on the other hand, there are people that have been for a long time. My dad just had his knee replaced uh, two weeks ago and he said, I can't anymore. I, you know, it had been scheduled for, so I think both flavors and it's important for you to discuss with your, with your doctor, if with your surgeon, if you're having hesitations and it's purely an elective surgery, then delay it until you're comfortable because it's not just the surgical encounter. There's the rehab afterwards. And if you're not comfortable going to the hospital or going to your doctors for, for surgical visits, are you going to be comfortable going to rehab afterwards? So all that, it's all that is encompassed in it. Wonderful. Thank you. Let me ask a question to Dr. O'Rourke. Since you're running the, uh, uh, the, the pre-procedural clinic at Loyola, I want to ask you this question. This is the question that's come in. Here we go. Uh, my doctor has advised me to undergo elective surgery. Here's a question. Do I need to go for a preoperative assessment? And if so, what is involved and why is it important? Right. So that would definitely depend on the patient and the type of surgery you're talking about. So many surgeries are um, done where you go in and have surgery and go home the same day. A lot of times those are low risk procedures and you don't really need to get testing beforehand. Um, there's other, you know, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum would be maybe I'm having an open heart surgery or some other major cancer surgery. And oftentimes those types of surgeries uh, do require testing. So in, when we think about preoperative testing, there's, there's two things that influence what tests you need. One would be the patient and what um, medical conditions they have. There's some testing that might be needed, for instance, if you had diabetes, either preoperatively or on the day of surgery. And then the second portion is what surgery are you having? So, um, so, that's, so it depends on those two things. And again, um, I'm very familiar with my hospital system, but there are a variety of models for preoperative testing throughout throughout Chicago, throughout Illinois, and throughout the country. Um, it's, in my personal opinion, it's always a good idea to see your regular doctor, your primary care doctor before you have surgery. Um, but many different people may uh, order tests for you. Your regular doctor can order it, your surgeon can order it, um, and there are hospitals that, and hospital systems that have preoperative clinics where you go and actually have tests ordered there. So it kind of depends on 
what surgery you're having and uh, and what hospital system you're having it in. But generally, you know, your surgeon can guide you through um, their particular hospital system and what type of testing to expect. And now for me as a primary care physician, I, I want to have a touch points with my patients. So all my patients that uh, need elective surgery, uh, the, the least the surgeons that I know, they know that they're going to see the, that the patient's going to see me. Obviously, if it's an emergency surgery, that's a different story. But if it's an elective procedure, they're always going to touch base with me again. I want to make sure that I'm quarterbacking their care, but it's also good connected with them. Uh, we know surgery is, it can be very worrisome. It can be scary for people. It can be anxiety provoking. And I think sometimes seeing the person that you see most commonly can kind of give a little calming thing, especially in these, these, these times. And I've already had to ask some COVID type or answer some COVID type questions, questions for my patients out there. Let me ask this question for uh, Dr. Schmitz. All right, here we go. Uh, patients, uh, no, I like this one. Here we go. Uh, can my family or friends come to the hospital on the day of surgery or to visit me in general? What's your guys' take on that? I'll start with you, Dr. Schmitz, and then maybe we'll yeah, ask so, Dr. Work. So like a lot of things that we're talking about, it really depends on the facility's policy because different hospitals have different uh, policies. As a surgeon that operates on children, uh, we are allowing one parent in the, in the room right now. Um, and so, in, and we're usually allowing one visitor as well for our adult patients. Uh, but I know that there are other hospitals that are not allowing visitors at this time. Something that I would check with your surgeon and, and check with the hospital because again, this is what in you know June 3rd, 2020 may not be the case June 18th or June 30th. And so that's... These are all evolving things. Dr. O'Rourke, what's your take on that one? Uh, generally speaking, uh, would you concur with Dr. Schmitz? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point that these things are definitely evolving because, you know, February, you could have, at some places, you could have your whole family, you know, come in and sit with you in the preoperative area. Yeah. And now it's a very short period of time later. And in fact, um, no one might be allowed. Um, again, this is, as you said, it's definitely dependent uh, upon your hospital system. And it's uh, something that most hospitals, because this is a change in policy, are doing a good job about calling patients a day or two before surgery to let them know what expectations should be. But um, because, uh, you know, some patients need ride home after surgery, and definitely you want to have your support system uh, in place preoperatively, including the morning of surgery. Um, so that's definitely something I would, again, Check with your surgeon um, so that you have a clear idea of who can be with you on the day of surgery. Thank you. Dr. Schmitz, I want to ask you this question. Since you're doing a lot of stuff and doing the surgery and, and working with other uh, doctors, other surgeons in your department, generally speaking, um, what precautionary measures are being taken in the operating room itself in the COVID era when compared to pre-pandemic uh, measures? Are you guys doing anything different to get yourselves ready before you actually operate? Yeah, so kind of two different sides to that is what is anesthesia doing and then what is the surgical team doing? And so we know that the highest during aerosolized generating procedures, you know, specifically in intubation. So for that, our anesthesia crew is using full PE face shields. And then we're actually clearing the room and allowing for this to go by before anyone else in the room comes in. And that's based on the number of air exchanges in, in our specific ORs that 99% of any uh, particle out in 20 minutes. So we're adding 20 minutes at the beginning of every case and then 20 minutes post extubation 
to try and keep as many people as safe as possible. Thanks, Dr. Schmitz, on your take on that one. Dr. Dr. Rourke, from an anesthesia standpoint, um, are you guys doing similar processes out there? Yep. Um, yep. For, so we've been talking a lot about how COVID affects the patients, but it definitely also affects um, everybody in the operating room. Um, and for me as an anesthesiologist, um, not all cases require a general anesthetic and require an innovation, but many of them do. And that's one of the highest risk procedures for people that have, um, for patients that have COVID for transferring that COVID to, um, to the anesthesiologist who's doing the innovation. So um, generally anesthesiologists are wearing uh, full precautions when they're doing innovations um, simply to protect themselves uh, from possible from possible infection. And, um, and yeah, and it also depends on the type of surgery you're having. There, there are certain procedures where many people in the room may all be, all be wearing them. There's, there's different protocols. Um, but uh, so it may be just the anesthesiologist team since they're the ones doing the innovation or in fact, everybody in the operating room, depending on the type of surgery may need full uh, PPE. Wonderful. Here's a question coming in. Um, I like this one. Uh, this is for Dr. Schmitz. Does the current COVID-19 situation change my length of stay after my surgery or procedure? So at our hospital, it hasn't changed the length of stay. You know, I, we generally try to get our patients, if you're having a same day surgery, you go home the same day. If you're having an inpatient stay for a bigger procedure, general rule of thumb is we'd like you to leave the hospital as soon as possible because uh, there's all kinds of risks of being in the hospital. And so this hasn't specifically, unless there's a complication, but, but the COVID era hasn't changed the length of stay in the hospital for us. Thank you. Here's a question, Dr. O'Rourke. I like someone coming in from, from a listener. Does surgery itself make me more likely to get COVID-19? Excellent question. And again, I like to I like to base my answers on data, and there's not a lot of data to answer if surgery is going to make you more likely. I might go back and just say, you know, certainly, um, certainly, if coming to a hospital or come to a surgical facility and interacting with people, if there is COVID in your community, is certainly more likely than if you're staying at home. Um, whether so, um, but whether how much of a risk it is to come in and have surgery, that's really not known. I, I can't really speak, um, speak accurately on that. Well, I think, I think you both have laid the case that, that you're, you're, you know, this is for people out there to understand that your hospital system, your doctor, your surgeon, they are making sure that you are in the safest environment, uh, period. And I just cannot, I cannot stress that anymore. Um, this is just like we would have, in the pre-pandemic era, we wanted to make sure that you were safe and well taken care of for you and your loved one. I don't think that's changed. We just got a couple of things that we're, we're, we're certainly a lot more in tune, but we were already in tune, but certainly with this heightened uncertainty with COVID, we don't wanna take, we don't wanna leave anything to chance. If again, here's the next question. I like this one for uh, us, this one for Dr. Schmitz. Here we go, here's a statement. I was already cleared for surgery pre-COVID, but it was postponed because of the pandemic. Do I have to repeat all my pre-procedural testing? That's, that's a great question. And, and I'll echo what Dr. O'Rourke said yesterday. It really depends what your health status is. If you're a relatively healthy person and nothing has changed in your medical history, maybe not. 
But if you have uh, significant heart disease, significant comorbidities, and it was 90 days ago that you had your um, EKG and testing, then it's probably best that that get looked at, especially if you haven't been active and maybe things could have gotten worse during, for you personally during this time frame. Um, so I would actually, I would kick that to Dr. O'Rourke and I, I, would, I would ask our, our <laughs> anesthesia colleagues and our pre-anesthesia our pre uh, folks about, about what they would recommend. Excellent, Dr. O'Rourke, what's your take on that question? Do they need to repeat sure. all their pre-procedural testing? Right, most likely no, um, but it depends uh, what tests we're talking about. Um, generally, LAD, EKGs, those things, if they've been done within the last three to six months or even up to 12 months, um, there's no need to repeat them. Um, but it is very important um, to, if there have been changes in your health, um, then additional testing may be needed. Um, so if your surgery was, so I would say for the vast majority of people, no, uh, tests will not need to be repeated, but depending on the type of surgery and your specific medical problems, certainly the full gambit of tests would not be needed to be repeated, uh, but some might. Yeah. I know what I've done, and I've had some people, and now I'm getting into this scenario because we had some people that were scheduled in uh, mid-March, uh, right around the time when things were shut down completely. I've actually just, it's, it's, I've actually just had a chance to reconnect, so I've actually openly, as a primary care doc, I've actually invited those people back in, let's reassess things because we've had a little bit of lag time, and it's different than, like, maybe some of the virtual connections because I might get some stuff that'll say, hey, you know, they'll send me, send me a message, Dr. G, I'm doing all right. But I'm like, no, I still want to get an objective assessment on you. But that's just me. That's how I choose the practice. You know, you, uh, for you guys out there listening to us, uh, you know, you talk with your doctor. This is where you and your doctor uh, have these critical decisions along with your surgeon to make sure everybody's in the loop. Here's the next question. I'll let this question. Oh, go ahead. Sure, just to reiterate what you said, I mean, for sure, the world is a different place now than when you originally scheduled your surgery. So certainly reconnecting with your primary doctor and just kind of talking about where you are now and your concerns, your concerns about surgery may be completely different now than they were two or three months ago. I think definitely reconnecting with your primary doctor is always a good idea. Plus I miss my patients anyway, so that's why I want to see them again. Here's, we'll do a couple more questions then we'll get into some this versus fast, but I love this discussion, guys. Here's another common question that's asked, frequently common question, here we go. Uh, this is for Dr. Schmitz. Can I postpone my surgery until the COVID-19 crisis is over? I would tell that for elective surgeries, yes, you can. That you, for an elective surgery, you should be the one deciding when to have that, when it fits into your lifestyle, when it fits into your timing with your family. Um, obviously, there's things that factor into that. Summertime is a busy time for us for elective surgeries because people, kids are out of school, people can take vacation. So if that, you know, if that factors in, but you should be the one that decides that. And, and because what I tell my folks is, I can't tell you how bad this is bothering you. You know, we can, we can correct it to try and help your pain, but you have to be the one that decides when it's time. So, of course, you can delay. Excellent. What's your take, Dr. Dr. O'Rourke? You would concur? I would 100% agree. I mean, I wouldn't want patients to delay care or surgical care um, that would improve their health. But generally, a patient needs to be comfortable um, with coming to the hospital and having surgery. And I think having it when you're ready for it is optimal. Excellent. I want to get into a little bit more of a, of a, of a challenging question. I've been put in this situation myself, but I just easily punt the question over to my uh, surgical colleagues and say that they are still highly skilled. But here's a question that I get asked. 
Um, and it's a legitimate question to ask. I'll ask this question to Dr. Um, to Dr. Schmitz. Here we go. Uh, here's a, here's a lead in. My surgeon's office has been closed for a few months. Should I be worried at all that my surgeon has not performed my type of surgery during that time? No, you shouldn't be worried. I mean, uh, we like to joke that it's kind of like riding a bike. And, and, and to be honest with you, surgery, <laughs> surgery skills, are, it's, a, it's a whole gamut of skills. And we've been operating. We've been doing emergency surgeries. We, I may not have done any ACL reconstructions in the last three months. Um, but, you know, I've done, I've done thousands of them over my career. And so that, that part's not going to be hard. Uh, you know, we've looked at this from a military standpoint. There are some people that deploy for three or four months and don't do a lot of surgery. And they come back and, and, and they don't really have a significant skills deterioration in that short amount of time. And so, you know, when you, when you go the number of years that most of us have been operating, taking a little two and a half month break isn't going isn't gonna to make or break it for us. I love that ride of the bike analogy. And that's why I think when I get asked that question, I go, I just, I just tell, tell them, I go, your surgeon has done literally a thousand of these. They are highly skilled. Um, you, you don't have to worry. I try to nip that in the butt. But let me flip the question a little bit. Because um, both of you guys are involved with academia. You both are involved in teaching residents, medical students. How does this delay affect future care of patients and the people that you're training? I'll ask the question to Dr. Work first, and then I'll have Dr. Schmitz elaborate. Um, it probably has a big impact. Um, so medical students and residents are a little different. Uh, medical students mostly across the country were generally not in hospitals um, while the COVID patients were there. Um, it was thought that, you know, putting those people uh, at, at risk was, was not ethical. So generally medical students have been absent from a lot of large academic hospitals, not every single one, uh, but a lot of them. Um, residents have still been training, um, certainly for surgical specialties, anesthesiology residents um, and surgical residents, certainly their workflow has been different um, because it's not like you were doing, you know, the, because the number of surgeries have been less. Um, but in my personal opinion, um, that, that will be adjustments made by their programs moving forward. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this has been a major impact on healthcare that all physicians have had to react to, and residents are really no different. And it's really been a big learning opportunity for me, for other anesthesiologists, for healthcare systems, and certainly for our residents who are training. Dr. Schmitz, please give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I agree. I, I guarantee that ACGME and, and our different subspecialties are going to really look at this, you know, because um, I personally don't think it's going to have a huge impact. Again, when you talk about, for example, orthopedic surgery as a five or sometimes six-year residency, um, a three-month break, people, people take three-month breaks for health reasons and things like that. We, what we do know is that um, each of the, so for orthopedics, there are case minimums that your residents have to reach to be able to graduate. Now, all of our chief residents had met those already, but what we're going to have to look at is as we go forward another couple of years, did this impact the case minimums on some of the more rarer cases for certain residents? And that I can't answer for you. Um, I'm hopeful in, in speaking with my program director, uh, we're hopeful that, that it won't affect it, but we may have to make some modifications to resident schedules to make sure that they, if they missed three months of a spine rotation and it was the only time they were gonna do spine during a three year period, 
then then some changes are going to have to be made. Wonderful. I appreciate both you guys keeping it real honest with that one. Let's get into some myths versus facts. So everybody out there that watches the show on my 90th episode, again, we do something every week called myths versus facts. It's all about setting the record straight. You get building trust and delivering truth, how it works. I'm going to say a statement and my panelist is going to say myth or fact. They're going to explain why we're going to kind of go bam, 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 keep this thing moving. And we'll see how many of these we can get in there. Myths versus facts. I love it. So here's the first statement. Dr. O'Rourke, here we go. Here's a statement. Myth or fact. Health systems nationwide will likely continue to be affected by COVID-19 for many months to come. Uh, 100%, that's a fact. Um, I think it'll be different than it was uh, when it first hit, but certainly um, at my hospitals, we have COVID patients in the hospital uh, right now. And I think that's the case for uh, many hospitals throughout uh, Chicago and the country. Um, so these are patients we're taking care of, and the disease is not likely is not going to go away. So those, it will definitely be a problem that we're continuing to deal with, and we'll continue to treat patients with that disease. Uh, that being said, like specifically for surgery, um, you know, when all elective surgeries were stopped in March, that was because of um, a lot of concerns, including the PPE and ventilator issue. I don't think those issues are likely to recur, even if there is a surge in the summer or fall, as some people think there are, um, because now, um, you know, we have many hospital systems have um, plans in place if those are to occur, and we're a little bit more prepared. So I wouldn't expect an interruption in surgical care as occurred in March, but uh, I would expect, I personally expect to continue taking care of COVID patients probably into 2021. All right. Thank you. Here we go, Dr. Schmitz. Here's a statement. Um, I was already diagnosed and resolved my COVID-19 infection. I still need to undergo, sorry, do I, I still need to undergo COVID testing prior to my surgery. I guess it gets to the question again, does everybody still get a COVID test? I think that's, that's, it depends on your hospital system. At my hospital system right now, it'd be a fact. Um, but it depends on your hospital system. Excellent. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, it would be a fact in my system too. Here we go, Dr. Work. I like this question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Work. Well, one interesting thing um, as we started, as testing has become more available, it's, there's some question as to um, once you've had it and you've tested positive, then if you retest, some people, for whatever reason, keep shedding a small amount of the virus and can be positive for weeks afterwards, even when they, their symptoms have resolved. So that's a really interesting um, question. And it's like if you test positive a month after and you have no symptoms, whether that test means anything is an interesting medical question right now. I like to leave my, let, let my infectious disease colleagues always call <laughs> on that one. Awesome. Love this one. Here we go. Dr. Work. I'm coming right back at you. Here's a statement. My primary care for matter of fact, my primary care physician must approve my surgical procedure. Myth or fact? Um, it depends. Um, depends on the, probably depends on the, um, on your health insurance, to be honest. I would say generally, no, strictly speaking, that's a myth that your primary physician doesn't need to specifically approve it. I would, as I think we said a couple times already, it's definitely a good idea to see a regular doctor um, and let them know that if you're having surgery so you can be prepared for it. 
I think my patients that know me know that they got to come in and see me before their elective <laughs> procedure. So uh, if that's an approval, yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> Excellent. Dr. Schmitz, here's a statement. I like this one. All right. It is okay for me to postpone my surgery. We just did this. It is okay for me to postpone my surgery until after the COVID-19 crisis is over. Myth or fact? That's, that's a fact. You need to be comfortable with getting the health care and you need to be comfortable with having your surgery. So you can, you can postpone it as long as you want, as long as you're not um, physically deteriorating from your condition. Excellent. Here we go. Dr. Work, I like the system. Uh, I like this question. Sorry, the system. I love the system though. Here we go. I will get, I, I will get in hospital transmission of COVID-19 during my surgical stay. People saying they will get it during their surgical stay. Uh, that's a myth. Um, for um, hospitals are doing everything in their, in their power to keep COVID patients and non-COVID patients uh, separate. Um, and certainly many surgeries are done where you come in and you go home the same day. Um, so if, if you were likely to get COVID uh, while you were having surgery, I don't think any physician, surgeon, or hospital system would do surgery. So certainly systems are in place to prevent that. Thank you. Here we go, Dr. Schmitz. I think this will do a couple more. I will be required to wear a mask during the continuum of my surgical stay, myth or fact. That is a fact. I have to wear a mask to walk in from the parking garage to the hospital. So everybody that's in our hospital has to wear a mask. Now, there, there are certain times when you're in the recovery unit after your surgery, they're not going to make you wear a mask. But during your hospital stay, we are making the patients wear masks to try and pre pre protect uh, various people. So yes, fact. All right. Thank you. Here we go. I like this statement, Dr. O'Rourke. All right. If you do not complete all preoperative testing, then you will not get surgery, myth or fact? Uh, Preoperative testing is designed to either optimize you or to evaluate your surgical risk. So certainly I would encourage anybody, if uh, someone recommends they get some type of preoperative testing to have it. Whether or not it absolutely would prevent you from getting it if you don't wanna get it would be a conversation you would need to have with your physician. Wonderful. Thank you. And I like this last one. Here's this for you, Dr. Schmitz. Here's a statement. Health systems will continue, sorry, health systems will coordinate the details of your drop-off and pickup with your support person before and after your surgery. Myth or fact? That's a fact. That's a fact. Um, our, our perioperative folks have been absolute all-stars. We switched from having this massive in-person pharmacy that seemed to always have a two, two hour wait to a drive-through pickup pharmacy on orders of a day, you know? And so I, our folks have been absolutely wonderful in coordinating your perioperative medications, making sure that you're getting wheeled down to your, um, uh, to your partner picking you up. And so that's an absolute fact. The hospital's gonna do everything they can to make sure that you have a, a great experience and a healthy experience. Wonderful. There you go, guys. Thank you again. Myths versus facts. Love it. So we got about, we got about five minutes left, guys. And I, and I certainly appreciate both of you guys, Dr. Work and Dr. Schmitz, for coming on today. So uh, what I want to do is I want to wrap things up, but I want to leave people with some take-home points. So let me start out with you, Dr. O'Rourke. And here's a statement. Here's kind of the question. Um, what should people understand about the surgical precautions uh, this day and age in this COVID era, era. What are some, th maybe a couple, two, three take-home points for people to understand out there that are thinking about surgery during this COVID era? Um, sure. Uh, one would be, you know, the coronavirus testing uh, is new. 
Uh, it's new for because we've never done this before. So it's a, a new process. Uh, there may be some bumps in the road if you're having um, surgery with your uh, testing uh, in the next few weeks. But I would suspect, like anything, it's a it's a system that's being ironed out, and hence I think it's going to be here for certainly a few months. And it's a system that's uh, really getting smoothed out at mo at most hospitals. So be patient with your physician, but it's a work in progress. Um, the second would be just generally for preoperative assessments. Um, these are designed to optimize your care perioperatively. So make sure you touch base with your uh, with your regular doctor and your surgeon about you know what the protocols are. Whether you're going to just see your regular doctor, if there's a clinic you need to see um, to make sure that you're ready for surgery, and make sure you ask questions you know about your recovery period uh, for what to expect. Um, and I guess finally, I just give give a plug. Uh, to my uh, anesthesiologist colleagues, uh, we've been really involved with the care of COVID patients in the hospital over the last couple months, and that has been uh, both uh, anxiety-provoking and exciting, um, and we're really looking forward now to uh, shifting to getting back to taking care of people in the operating rooms. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. O'Rourke, for, for sharing your, your insight on such an important topic. Dr. Schmitz, give me a couple take-home points. Give me three take-home points or so that people should understand about these surgical precautions and what we're doing to make sure that they're safe in this COVID era. Yeah, sure. So number one, I think it's really important to remember that your whole healthcare team, from your primary care physician to your surgeon to anesthesia, it, it is their ultimate goal that you have a, a wonderful experience and, and improved and better outcomes. And so everything that we're doing from the meetings that I attend are to make sure that we keep our patients safe. Uh, number two, I would remind patients that things are moving a little bit slower than usual right now. We're, we're, we're encountering bumps in the road, as Dr. O'Rourke said, and we're trying to figure those out. And so, you know, surgeries aren't happening with 15-minute turnover times. Things are moving a little bit slower, so be patient for that. Same thing with in-person in, in visits in the clinic and virtual visits. Uh, and then number three, remember that right now at the beginning of June is not what things are going to look like at the end of June or at the end of July, or even next spring, there's gonna be more changes and there's changes that we, haven't, we are unable to predict right now. And so it's incumbent on, on us as physician teams to really try and look at the data and make sure we're making the best decisions for our patients. Wonderful, thank you again, Dr. Schmitz, for sharing your thoughts. And my final thoughts are this, the safety of our patients, families, staff members, and community have always been there They've always been a top priority, and they still are now more than ever. I recognize that our ability and our responsibility in caring for our patients goes beyond their physical health. If you and your loved one are advised to have surgery, continue to talk to your surgeon, ask honest questions, and receive honest answers. And know that we've got your back 100% to keep things safe, seamless, personal, just as you would expect during your time of healing, recovery, and beyond. I want to thank my guests today. It's been great to check in with them again. Dr. Michael O'Rourke, MD, FASA, board-certified anesthesiologist, associate professor, Department of Anesthesiology and Peri Perioperative Medicine, director of preoperative anesthesia screening clinic at Loyola University Medical Center. Check him out on Twitter at Dr. Dr. Underscore M underscore O'Rourke. My other guests today, longtime friend and colleague, Dr. Matthew Schmitz, MD, FAAOS, FAOA, FAAP, board certified 
orthopedic surgeon, chair, Department of Orthopedics, chief, young adult hip preservation service, chief, pediatric orthopedics and adolescent sports medicine at San Antonio Military Medical Center, associate professor at Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences, associate professor at Baylor University Clinical Orthopedics, team physician, U.S. National Rugby Team. Check him out at Twitter, at RugbyMD. Also check him out on Facebook, at Schmidt's Hip Surgery. Hey, you guys have been listening and watching live on Facebook. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2020 by NDG Wellness LLC. All rights reserved. Hey, everybody. Stay tuned for my next episode next week. The title is Workplace Safety in the Era of COVID-19. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. And peace out.